This podcast represents the opinions of our hosts and guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice and is for informational purposes only. This podcast also does not establish a standard of care, doctor-patient or client relationship. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. And because each person is so unique, all listeners are encouraged to connect with counseling and medical professionals for assistance with their personal journey. All people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect the privacy of those involved. You're listening to the We're Not Fine podcast with Doug Jensen and Dr. Talia Jackson. Hi, Talia. Doug, it's you. And you as well. Well, welcome back. We're so happy to be here. And we've got so many fun things that we're going to talk about. And one thing that I've always wanted to ask you, Doug, because all I know you as is this fabulous master therapist. Were you born a therapist or did you have any jobs before this? Boy, there's like two questions there, really. Like... (laughs) The question of whether we are, as therapists, born to do this and there's something inherently within our systems and our brains and our our lives to, you know, make us who we are. I don't think that because I think we are shaped by our life experiences. However, the question about what I have done aside from this, I have a lot of fun stories about that. But I knew you would. I remember at 15, I wanted this Nike pair of tennis shoes and several of you from my generation will remember the red the the, the blue swoop right the Nike swoop on those white Nike shoes and my family did not have the money to buy those so I didn't have the nice sneakers but all of my friends did in my junior high and high school and I'm like I am going to find a way to make money so I walked into a supper club about five miles from my parents farm and I got a job. I started as a dishwasher. They tried me out as a cook. And then I became a server. And you know, the interesting story that I would say, I was their first male server in this smaller community, this smaller resort town. And I will never forget the day, like I would get the most tips because I was a male and it seemed like a classy thing. And yet I remember one table that I walked up to to take their order for their cocktails, et cetera. And of course we had all those lovely ice cream drinks like grasshoppers and Brandy Alexander's and all of those pink Cadillac, whatever it was. Um, but I remember this dude said to me, I want a woman. And I didn't know what he meant. I was like, I don't understand. And he, and he really just... <laughs> He was so much more comfortable with a female server. Um, And I look back and I probably did not have a very sharp or smart answer at that point. And I don't even remember if I continued serving them or not. Um, I'm sure he got, I got switched out with one of my, one of my lovely, lovely female servers. Um, But I remember thinking what an interesting start. Um, The only other job that I want to reference, and then I want your history as well, is when I got to college, I, I uh, got a job through a friend at a place called Whirl-A-Whip. And it was a place where you like have vanilla or chocolate yogurt and vanilla or chocolate ice cream, and you get to put anything you want in it, and it was a machine. And then we all got fired because he brought some liquor. 
and mixed it up in the machine. And so we, we got fired. Um, but that was fun. I'm so glad we're talking about this because you are not going to believe this, but I have very similar experiences. Tell me. Okay, well, a couple of things. I worked at, I think, possibly the first ever Caribou Coffee. Oh. Is that possible? That was on Lake and Hennepin, oh. Uptown Minneapolis. Wow. It's, now it's something else. It's been many things. It's been Mac. It's been, it's changed ownership a lot. But so I was in, I think, the first ever, maybe the second Caribou Coffee. So I was a barista at like oh. 15. So that was something. And then my junior year abroad, I worked, get this, when I was in Tel Aviv, because my whole family is Israeli. They all, you know, everyone still lives out there except for our little branch of the family. I worked at the Planet Hollywood on the boardwalk in Tel Aviv, and I was the number one worst server you have ever met i did not get the most tips in fact i got the least amount of tips and israelis are not known to be amazing tippers anyway so let me just tell you i probably didn't deserve tips you should have seen the things that i was doing i was such a begrudging server i found everyone to be so obnoxious in their needs like did you spit you on their this? food I personally did not spit in anyone's food. However, if someone was kind of an asshole and word got back to the chefs, could you call them chefs at Planet Hollywood? I don't, I don't I know. I think so. Of course you Let's can. just say things may or may not have happened behind the scenes that you would have been mortified and disgusted i may or may not have seen a dead fly on a piece of pizza and plucked off the dead fly and like flicked it onto the ground and served it anyway so you did Does that like make squish? you want to come over for dinner <laughs> So, Tali, I'm going to make sure that your beautiful husband, Rob, actually does the cooking when I come to your house for dinner. Or maybe it's the serving. He should do the serving because then you can know that the quality of what gets served is a little bit higher. Oh, but guess what else? I Guess what else? I was, a, for years, I worked at Sebastian Joe's, the oh. ice cream place. I know. I was an ice cream scooper professionally through most of Such good ice cream the best ice cream and there was also a lot of drama everyone was dating everybody I so much out. behind the scenes stuff going on and then one of my best friends dated the manager and then my other you know my best friend who I think is gonna be on the podcast and she's like a health and well actually I'm not gonna out who she is because she got fired from Sebastian Joe's. We're going to bring that up during her episode. I think we're going to have to. In case she needs to still grieve any of that or process any of that trauma. Uh, yeah, there's definitely probably a lot to talk about. There's, it was a very exciting time in all of our lives. It reminds me, though. I also was, and then I continued serving when I got to the Twin Cities and I went to college. And the Sheraton Midway Hotel is no longer there, but there was a restaurant there called Bigelow's. And I remember one of my colleagues, a server, 
used to try to make me laugh whenever I was serving people or waiting on people, and it worked every time. His name was Greg. He was one of the funniest people I have ever worked with, and I loved it so much. And then, of course, I actually, have you been fired from a job, Talia? Yes. Tell me which one. I have. Okay. Save save that for another episode. (laughs) Oh! Do you know what I just realized is that Greg wanted us to do our intro for two minutes and he's our wrangler. Like there's no way for us to talk about something for only two minutes. I think, I think interrupting us is appropriate. So Greg, well, we, feel free. We, we have some important questions from, from, uh, from people that, that are interested in your perspective oh. and keep in mind, these are, these are two people that in their twenties. So they're, they're very young. Uh, my boyfriend and I have been dating for two and a half years. It has been a rocky on both sides, but we have made it work long distance for the past year. And we recently met um, when he came to the U.S. during the summer. I live here and he lives in Abu Dhabi. We both go to college, so we decided to make it work. He is a scholarship kid who is basically very nerdy and spends all his time studying and coding. Maybe that's why long distance has been super easy because we are there for each other and, and we both have jobs and college to take care of. But lately, he has been completely stopped communicating. His classes have been taking a huge toll on him. And he tells me that he cannot give me any time except for for a call during the weekend. I told him we need to be able to communicate every day or, or once every few days instead of waiting a whole week. But he's not up for it. He told me either we need to end this or I need to understand his busy schedule and act according to it. This has been a wonderful relationship in my life. And I don't want to give it up because he's always been there for me. He helped me when I was dealing with my family problems, mental health issues, and even intimacy issues. Hmm. I know being with him has been the happiest of days, but times like this make me wonder, why should we even bother long distance? We both are rather young to be tied together when things are clearly not working. Should we work on this or end this? Oh, my heart. I I don't know about you, Doug, but I have so many clients that I'm working with right now that are dealing with very similar situations, relationships that, that they're in that have either started out with so much communication and so much warmth and there was definitely a beautiful match between both of their relationship needs and what each of them had to offer the relationship. And then sometimes that shifts over time where somebody, maybe it's because they're feeling really secure in the relationship, needs less communication. Maybe it's because they have less capacity, less time, less energy. They're putting in less effort because the first however many months or years they're no longer in a position where that level of effort, time, and energy is sustainable. Or maybe their feelings have changed and that isn't being accurately reflected. So it is so hard to know exactly what's happening here. One of the possibilities is that your boyfriend coder is drowning legitimately up to his eyeballs in work. There is no time. He has to be focusing on his school, on his career, and he just has a very limited ability to give you the time and the space that you need for communication. So it's probably making you feel even more lonely, craving even more relationship than he's 
able to give you long distance is so hard. The only way I think that long distance can work is if there's an end in sight. If there's a plan of like, I know this is really bad. I know this is really hard. Neither one of us are getting our needs met. But the finish line is in six months, I'm moving back or you're coming to visit me in four weeks. So we're going to be able to reconnect. Otherwise, it's incredibly painful. Doug, what do you think? I think a few things. Um, one of the things that I want to highlight is how beautifully you referred to this person in your life and how grateful you appear to have this person who has been instrumental in all of the ways that you describe. You used a word at the beginning, rocky, and I couldn't tell if that was just the recent months where this has been happening or if this has been an ongoing issue because it could be too that whatever is causing this rockiness has been something that has not been fully addressed in this relationship. Like, what are the rocky issues for the two of you? I'm a little less black and white about the long distance piece because I think there are different ways of doing relationships and it's all about communicating and negotiating those. I'll always jump back to my four C's of relationships about it is about asking for what you want and need in a relationship and finding a compromise that works. So while long distance can be very complicated for some people, it can also work incredibly well for people who are satisfied in that portion of their life. You also said something, I think, really at the core of this, this issue at the end, when you referenced that you're 20, you're in your early 20s, you're at really, really critical times where there's going to be so many changes as both of you finish up your academic programs, as both of you make decisions about where and how and what that looks like. And as you're probably identifying and, and experiencing as well, boy, those years are formative. You've moved out of the safety of your home that you grew up in. You are finding your independence. You're establishing your identity. And I think as you do that, it's just an incredible time to really figure out who you are and, and what you want in your relationship. But I really want to say I'm just very struck and, and, um, and really just want to compliment you on how lovely you can uh, characterize the relationship you have with them. And I'm gonna suggest that the next step is for you to have a conversation about what you're experiencing and letting him know it's not enough, but also to be sure that that change to weekly is not enough for you. Like take mm -hmm. a look at your own circumstances too. And I do have so many more questions for you, but ultimately I think that's where I would go with this is that you just need to let him know that's, that doesn't kind of meet your intimacy needs. And then both of you together should decide what that means for the future of your relationship. It almost sounded like she already had expressed that this isn't enough. And he basically had said, I'm sorry, this is all I have to give. It's possible that this is just not working. Um, I think that one of the hardest parts about long distance, and maybe it feels especially this way to me because I am a terrible long distance <laughs> friend. I have people that I absolutely adore at a 20 out of 10 my dearest most beautiful friends that I cannot figure out how to maintain long distance friendships if I'm not seeing the person and I think what happens is it feels like to me at least there's nothing new to talk about we're not creating any memories together so it's almost like in the absence of this electric energy between two people in person, 
you are the the relationship, the long distance relationship seems to be just, you know, breathing fumes of reminiscence and old memories because in the present you're experiencing things all by yourself it's like this lonely road that you're on and unless you can figure out a way to breathe life into these three minute facetime conversations every week it really gets so stale and then there's nothing and then it quickly there's nothing to talk about but i would say that that's so much about who each person is as an individual like I would say, Talia, it could be the opposite as well. Like someone could have this amazing individual experience on a week-to-week basis because they're both so busy. And the question is like, what do you share with that person? You're also referring to your friendships, right? Versus yes. your intimate romantic relationships, which I think are such a different dynamic. Um, one of the things that you know you just referenced that I think is critical to, to identify at this point is the way that we communicate long distance now. You know, when my older daughter went to NYU, um, I was so incredibly thrilled to have FaceTime and to have, you know, uh, a, a text chain on a cell phone that we didn't have 20 years ago or whatever time that was, um, to be able to maintain communication with these people. And when both of my kids moved to L.A., I had them on a Zoom dinner every Sunday for a long time to just stay connected. So I will tell you, though, that texting is, and when we get to to more dialogue about you know, the four C's and communication. Texting is tough. You don't know tone, you don't know affect, you don't know how much time that person has put into their comments that they made to you. But I'll tell you, Talia, what you really highlight in your own experience with your friendships is that sometimes out of sight, out of mind is what that experience is. But I think for a lot of people, it's not that way. Like a lot of my dearest, dearest friends are no longer here. I have a friend in Sweden, hello, Elizabeth. I have a friend in Boston, hello, Sue. Um, those people are ones that I can keep in contact with because we have this amazing technology. But I think that that is your individual skill. I think you're absolutely right because I will say I hate talking on the phone. I am allergic (laughs) to talking on the phone. I have probably talked to you more on the phone in this last week (laughs) than I have talked to any of my dearest friends for 50 years that okay I'm only 45 but you know my dearest friends Your 60 years I'm my 75 year old friends that I cannot seem to figure out how to maintain those relationships on phone or FaceTime I feel like a trapped animal when I'm on the phone maybe that's my ADHD I don't know what that's about but I will say that texting is my preferred communication because I feel free to respond when I can. And I know that if somebody calls me, all of a sudden I, there's an unknown amount of time that I am going to be on the phone with somebody. And sometimes I feel like I can't afford that kind of time. So I want to give you a little kudos here, though, Talia. And I realize that now that you are my podcast spouse, um, we have regular communication every day. You're really good at it. But that's because you're a part of my every day. If you moved to Sweden. I will find you, by the way, if I move to Sweden. That's what people say. But I... 
can disappear like nobody's business because I'm I'm terrible at the phone. I'll still find you. I want to I want to go back to the vignette. By the way, um, yes. I don't remember if we have a name for her, but I I like her. And the end of your vignette or the end of your question was, is this over? Or is this something we should work on? There isn't a right answer. I wanted to go back to that question because this isn't a, a black or white response. I think even if you have let him know that that level of intimacy and contact doesn't work, I think you really need to let him know that it's a deal breaker, if that's what indeed you've decided it is. So I think you need to go back and say, this is a really serious issue for me, and I'm not entirely clear that you heard me the first time. This is not working for me. What do we do? So it's not a clear, like, is it over or is it not? It's a continued negotiation. And I'll tell you, the sad part of it is you are very young, and it's very likely that there's going to be, again, so many developmental changes that you have coming up and circumstantial changes in your life that are coming up. It's really hard to stay connected to that person that you meet at those formative times of your early adulthood. But I think um, it's, not, it's not one way or the other at this point. And maybe you're feeling like, you know, as hard as it would be, because I also want to say, of course, ending a relationship is really sad. And, you know, we have to grieve and it's not hard to detach from someone when we, once we've had that great connection. Um, one note that I completely agree with, and I think that we discussed it a little bit in our part one of four of our communication episodes that we're doing. So when we were talking about passive, passive aggressive, aggressive, all of that. I think that what we were also discussing with some of the vignettes is we, a lot of people make assumptions about the deal breakers and are we going to make it and aren't we going to make it? And I think that one really important thing to remember is it's all about our communication and then the willingness of the other side and our willingness to maybe meet other people's needs or be less rigid. And so step one is you communicating your needs. Step two is your partner deciding whether or not that's something that he has available to him or that he has interest in changing. And so that communication and then the willingness are what determines whether or not something's a deal breaker or not. We all get to determine once we've stated our needs and once our partner has told us whether or not they can even meet those needs, then it's on us to decide, is this enough for me? Do I think this could still work? Can I maybe find different ways to meet those needs? Or is that something I really do need from my partner? And if so, is this going to work? And I would add one step to what you just suggested. Um, It's about not only that person communicating their needs, but then the other person as well. Because managing a relationship will take both of you coming to that table and being as clear and expressive about what it is you want and need, and both of you deciding if you can find that compromise in the middle or if it really is something where either one of you will say, I can't do that. And boy, Talia, as we get into a lot more episodes and communications about how different types of relationships work, navigating that communication and negotiating is not easy. And a a lot of times it ends up with somebody saying, I just can't, I can't do that. I can't open the relationship or I can't do a long distance relationship, whatever the issue might be. So, or like our episode that aired last week, you know, going back to school, it's a deal breaker or continuing to have children. I I can't do that anymore. So lots and lots of Mm -hmm. scenarios where I think, Deal breakers might apply, but not necessarily. You're absolutely right. Have a question for Doug or Talia. 
email us your questions at questions at renotfine.com. Eligible questions will be randomly selected for upcoming episodes. For details, visit our website at we'renotfine.com. Join us every Tuesday for new conversations, new challenging topics, and fun.